Hi, welcome to VCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us today and happy to have these guys with me here as well. Morning, Bob. Good morning, Brad. Morning, Philip. Hello, Brad. And happy Thanksgiving to you. Happy to have a chance to get with these guys. But Brian and Dustin are out today and we've got a chance to talk about several topics, including we're going to touch on vitamin A, leasing or buying a bull, having some calves, and should I implant them after weaning? Before we get into those topics, I've got a question for you guys day after Thanksgiving. So right now we're into it. I need to know your favorite quote from a Christmas movie? Oh, that's tough. Uh, let's go with... Uh, I, I, it has to be clean. Oh. Rethink. Let, let right, Philip right. go. Oh, you've got, yeah, you've got me stumped because I'm not that good at remembering the quotes from movies. But probably if I had to think of favorite Christmas movies, it's probably Christmas Vacation. Yeah, she's a beaut, Clark. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that That is right up there. Although, yeah. So what's the you're going to shoot your eye out? I mean, just because that's a hilarious movie. Yeah. I mean, some people. My wife actually doesn't appreciate a Christmas story. Yeah. I I do. I do. I appreciate that because there's some overlap with my childhood. It's like, yeah, it's not exactly like my childhood, but there's some similarities. Yeah. Exactly. So so you're going to shoot your eye out. You guys are awesome. Hey. Speaking of awesome, we also have some big news. So here from BCI, we are going to release a new podcast coming out. So we've done our Cattle Chat podcast. We've had some some questions relative to maybe going a little further on some of the topics and being able to have some more in-depth discussions. So we will have a podcast called Bovine Science with BCI. That will release our first episode. It's going to come out on Mondays. First episode is going to come out on Monday, December 5th. I'm pretty excited about it because it is a different format. It's a one-on-one, so there are several of us from BCI, but I'll kind of give overview of a couple of the other topics, then I want you guys to talk a little bit about what what you're planning to discuss. So one of them will be with Dr. Brian Lubers, where we'll talk about antibiotic treatments, what's some of the new information coming out, how do we evaluate some of that literature. We've also got one with Dr. Scott Fritz, who's a toxicologist, who's going to go over some of the information on some of the cases that he's seen. We're also going to try to talk to some other clinicians, but Philip, you you and I have uh, recorded one for you, which is all about nutrition. Tell us about yours. Yeah, so uh, we're going to call it diving into diets, and we're going to go deeper into beef cattle nutrition and the more specifics and and how to how to better manage nutrition of those animals and formulate diets and and things like that and and we may throw a little bit of sustainability um, related topics in there as well so I, th- I think that's and a great example is a little more we're able to go a little more technical because we're spending more time on one topic they'll still only be about 15 to 20 minutes but you'll have a chance to really talk about what are some of the differences in these choices and what are the implications on protein or energy or some of those different levels in specific diets yeah in specific situations yeah, yeah. bob what about you well we're going to cover some a little more in-depth topics in the area of reproduction, focusing both on on cows and heifers as well as bulls. And so some of the things we're going to do, we're going to discuss some research projects that have been done that that answer some really practical questions. Uh, we're also going to talk about, uh, you know, some of the you know, a lot of times our answer is, well, it depends. So what kind of a synchronization protocol should I use or should I even do synchronization in AI? Well, the answer is it depends, but we're going to take a little bit of time to say, you know, it depends on what or how to how to make whatever choice I make the most successful possible. So there's a lot to talk about on reproductive efficiency of beef cattle, and we're going to dive in on those. We'll also do a few conversations about some animal health topics as well. Yeah, and I think that's what 
the last part of what you said that opens up because we're happy to have topics from you if you send us a topic or you send us a question certainly we're going to keep answering those on our, our cattle chat podcast which is this one but we also want to be able to discuss maybe some of the intricacies a little bit further that gives us a chance to get into and we're going to keep the format on this podcast the same but you can certainly send us a question if you've got something you'd like us to talk about on this podcast or the bovine science with bci and that'll be released on itunes and google play and everywhere you get your podcast now by the way must be a south pole elf you guys never asked me my what my what my quote was okay you'll have to figure out the yeah movie. i got that one so let's talk a little bit about vitamin A and what that means on our operation. And Bob, I'm going to turn to you first and ask about what are some of the signs if I'm short on vitamin A? Well, what we typically see are kind of subtle things such as just a little bit more um, susceptibility to disease, maybe not quite as good a breed up uh, on more severe cases. And what the textbooks say is it can lead to night blindness, some vision problems because it's absolutely necessary for good vision. The reality is they have to be pretty deficient for quite a while to see that effect. And even, you know, so in severely deficient cases, you could see some, you know, some stillborn or weakborn calves. So it, it can be quite severe. But to be honest, I don't see that very often. What I see is kind of cows that have been low on vitamin A for a while, just kind of some subtle things. And it's hard to pin that absolutely it was because of vitamin A. But a lot of times we'll come in and, and kind of reestablish the the vitamin a intake and it seems that things get better so i'm, I'm gonna lean towards just kind of some subtle because vitamin a is involved with a lot of our tissue integrity is the way the veterinarians would say it so just good internal tissue health external tissue health the eyes so it's it's important in a lot of parts of the animal so important for the immune system they may be not quite as thrifty may not do quite as well certainly but it's going to be subtle because there's lots of things that could cause that yeah like i said the textbook points out these just disasters but that's not what i see very often i don't know what you see philip no i think you've got to be deficient or the cow has to be deficient for quite a while before you're going to see those textbook night blindness type of things and because it's stored in the liver yeah right i mean you're gonna you're gonna have a supply because where, where do they normally get it well, so the primary source for vitamin A is through from beta carotene in green grass. Um, and so green forages and plants have a high level of beta carotene, and then the animal's body can convert that to vitamin A. And it's a fat-soluble vitamin, and so it is stored in the body for quite a while. And typically we think that you know cows that have come off of green grass, green pasture in the summer, They've got enough stores for three, four months before they'll start to maybe show some decreased level of, of vitamin A. And so, you know, usually, the, you know, that'll get you through the fall and, and whatever on some lower quality forages. But then once you get to this time of year, now you're going to start need to supplement. And then especially in a drought year. They didn't have those stores. So, so let me back up a little bit. So green forages, growing forages, that makes sense. Hay that we feed, does it have any vitamin A? Does it have a really low level, a, the same level as in growing forages? No, not the same levels in growing forages because when we sun cure it, the, the UV light destroys some of the beta carotene. And so then we've got a lower level in hay. And if you get, you know, and then obviously you think about when you put your hay up, if it's if you got it up when it was still, you know, green and, and fresh and nice, it's going to have a higher level. 
than if the forage was already uh, mature and going, you know, I won't say going dormant, but getting dried down and, and that sort of stuff, then the vitamin A level or the beta carotene level in the hay is going to be lower. So we may have two whammies from the drought this year in that the forage itself might not have had enough vitamin A going into it, may not have lasted long in the fall. And two, the hay that we made this summer may not have had quite as much level of vitamin A. Is that what you're saying, Phil? Yeah, very likely because a lot of those forages were dried out you know, from the lack of rain. And so the vitamin A con or the beta carotene content is going to be a lot lower than normal. All right, Bob, I'm coming back to you. What, so, so what do we do? Good thing is there's things we can do. A lot of our mineral supplements will include a vitamin A component to that mineral supplement. So you should check. You look at your, your mineral label and look at the vitamin A content. Um, a lot of times there is sufficient vitamin A in the mineral to provide what we need and keep that in front of the cows. There's also an injectable product that has vitamin A in it. And because um, vitamin A is stored in the liver for a while, a single injection uh, will be taken up and stored in the liver for, for a number of weeks. So those are both of our options. Now, a couple of warnings are that vitamin A, and we talked a little bit about some of our trace minerals a few weeks ago. Well, vitamin A helps to protect some of those minerals, but in that effort, it is degraded. And so a mineral package, so bags of mineral or stored mineral that has been stored for a while, what was printed on the label as for how much vitamin A they started with, that might not be what's there today. And so really, again, this is about not storing mineral vitamin packages for very long. Don't plan on using last year's mineral this year. Use fresh. What's very long? Months. Okay. You know, so I want mineral packages that have been, you know, not from last year. They, they need, and I know they're going to be in the, in the marketing channels and the storage channels for a while. And a lot of times they're designed to not have to be used next week, but they're not really designed to be held over and used, you know, a year or two years later. Yeah. So that makes sense. And we're going to put into the mineral, we've already got vitamin A in there. And then you may or may not need an injection. That's something I'd work with your nutritionist, your veterinarian, figure out, does that make sense or not? Because the signs of this can be pretty subtle, but it is something to put on your radar screen, especially this year when we've got a drought, as Philip talked about. A couple of reasons we think that we might be deficient. And I think a lot of years we run at that edge, right? You store it in the liver and then you wait until you get to green grass again. And then the grass grows, everything's happy, it takes care of itself. I think there's a lot of people that, that agree that a lot of years, depending on, again, geographic areas, there's some differences and things, but a lot of years, it would be the rare cow that really kind of runs out based on just our normal management. I think there's a lot of us that are a little bit concerned because there hasn't been, in much of the country that's had pretty severe drought, we haven't had green growing forage for weeks and weeks. And so we're having depleted the liver stores much earlier than typical this year. So one of the things, and I want to shift topics because I, I want to have a little time to talk about this, is buying or leasing a bull. And I, and I realize we're not quite into for spring calvers. We're not quite at that stage yet, but it's the stage to think about it. What makes more sense? And, th and there's some pros and cons. Often this applies to operations, and, and I'm just going to frame it this way. This may apply to an operation that has a herd with one bull. So they're looking at a herd sire, should I buy or should I lease? And I know it ties into the replacement heifer aspect, but Bob, what are your initial thoughts buying versus leasing? What are some of the challenges or opportunities? Yeah, I'm going to lead with the challenges. From a biosecurity, animal health standpoint, I prefer bulls to basically be one herd animals. 
not multiple herd animals because there are some diseases that can be passed from bulls to cows during the mate during mating and and that can cause problems so that, that's a concern but to be totally completely honest there are some herds where it makes sense because of particularly very small herds my breeding cost per cow it may make more sense to share a bull among several herds but back to my original warning you need to understand that you're taking a health risk and so i would want to treat the multiple herds as one herd from a health standpoint and so i understand why people would want to do it i think there may be times that you can consider it but as a veterinarian i'm going to really kind of make you think it through really carefully philip well i'm going to take from a management perspective and i think there are pros and cons i and I think from a from pro perspective or the benefit, if you have a small herd and you've got to spend, you know, five thousand plus dollars on good genetic bull and you've only got fifteen cows that he's gonna breed, and then you're only gonna keep him around for two years because you're gonna save replacement heifers out of him, that's a pretty high cost per pregnancy. And so leasing that bull, well, let me back up. The other option, another option is then to buy a really inexpensive bull, which means you know, not so very good genetics. He decreases your cost per pregnancy. With leasing a bull, then you potentially get to have much better genetics at a inexpensive bull price. But I do need to find that situation where there's multiple breeding seasons available, such as, you know, the easy one to think about is fall and spring. So I need to find somebody where they can use, I can use the bull in the fall breeding season and somewhat another farm can use the bull in the spring breeding season or sometimes you know you've kind of got a a late winter into early spring you know so it's possible but i need to find those kind of partners and that might be a bull supplier that is that has identified several different ranches that could use his bulls or that ranch's bulls or it may be a neighbor or a relative or somebody where we've kind of worked out that agreement agreement again i've seen it work but it makes me a little bit nervous because because you're nervous about the health part yeah i am and, and what are some of the things that I might be concerned about? One of the main diseases is trichomoniasis, and that is definitely a venereally passed disease. And one of the ways people that have made this work will do that is include some testing. So testing both in and out of each pasture situation. And that certainly does help me control that risk. But there's other, there's other kind of less known diseases that can be passed and, and it doesn't have to be a venereally passed disease. Any disease that could pass from one herd to another can go through a, a bull that's moving from one to another. And I don't necessarily have great ways of testing for all of them. So I, I can utilize some increased testing to manage that risk a little bit, but I've, I've maintained some risk. I didn't really get rid of it all. Well, I'm going to bring in another aspect here. Think about artificial insemination and AI. You know, if we're trying to reduce our pregnancy cost or per in a small herd, artificial insemination might be a way to do that to get good genetics at a lower cost per pregnancy. And then you also help to eliminate some of that that herd health issue in that that regard. So you can keep a, a purchased bull around for more years by using AI and then saving heifers out of the AI sired cows. And so that way you're not having to replace that, that bull that's around. So that's another option to think about here. We're buying a bull or leasing a bull. Am I going to include AI in this program or not? And how that may impact my decision. Excellent point, Philip. Cause 
if I want to get those genetics, maybe I'm going to bring in AI. But if I don't have a lot of experience with that, you might have somebody custom do it for you, right? Have somebody come in, they run the sync program or tell you what to do, work with either your veterinarian or somebody who's providing the semen and have them come in and run it. And I think that could make a tremendous difference and gives me a good trade-off. And then I can, but I still have to buy that cheap bull to cover because I'm not going to get them all bred with AI. Or are you thinking you're going to get them all bred with AI? Well, if you're a small herd, there's options. I mean, you could do um, heat detection, and then you just keep following the ones that don't get bred until they either get bred in a 60-day window or they're open, and you cull them just like you normally would with a bull. Or, I mean, I think you could spend a little bit more more money on a bull and not have to buy an inexpensive bull because he's going to be around for five, six, seven years and still be producing calves because I don't have to keep genetics out of him. Yeah, absolutely. And you could keep, because you're going to keep the AI calves is what you're going to do. So that bull could stay around longer, which allows the payoff. So I think those are great considerations. How long am I going to keep it? I'm going to come back to what Bob said, the the health concerns. Venereal disease comes to the forefront because we're talking about bulls. It's not the only one that could come between these herds. And it's very hard to verify which of those diseases are in or out. So you have to work with your veterinarian, figure out what's your biosecurity plan. Does that make sense? And there's a trade-off. There's a real management advantage. There is a trade-off as as you look at moving that forward. And, And I think Dustin's not here today, but if he were here, I think one of the things that he would ask us is, you gotta think about what's your marketing strategy. Right. So what are you going to do with those calves? So we talked about the heifer side, but the level of genetics and investment and how I'm going to do that. Do I need them to get to weaning? Do I need them to go to slaughter? That may give me more value that I can pay back to afford to pay for a bull all the way through. Excellent thoughts there, guys. I think buying or leasing certainly requires some thought and probably requires you to get out of a pencil and paper and scratch some of those ideas out for your operation. The other topic I wanted to talk about was implanting. And this is something, and I want you to think about after, so I've, I've got my springborn calves, we've got them weaned. I'm going to keep them 70 days and we're going to feed them, background them. I know, Philip, I put it right in the middle of where, where it make it a good question for you. I'm going to background them and then I'm going to sell them after that. Should I implant them at the time I run them through and give them their vaccination at weaning? For 70 days is kind of a bad number. I'll just say that off because you're, you're that's long. why I, that's exactly why I picked it. Yeah, you're well, you're at a, a, a longer time period than is needed for a preconditioning program, but you're probably not keeping them around long enough to really make a whole lot of money on the weight gain because you're not giving them enough time. So first thing I would do is decide on whether you want to go less or more than 70 days. 70. (laughs) But the implant question then comes down to payout period in my mind. I mean, I don't think it's a question of whether to implant or not implant because the return on investment for that, those dollars is huge. I think the question is, okay, what implant am I going to use with only a 70-day window? And so I'm looking at something that's uh, probably a shorter day implant like Xeranol and that's got a payout period of about 70 days. I could probably go with a estrogen progesterone-based implant that has a payout around 120 days, um, which I might, I'll probably get a little bit bigger boost and gain out of that than I will the um, 70-day implant, but I'm not using it to its full potential. And so you might have to think a little bit about whether the extra cost of that longer payout period implant will be worth it, even if I'm not going to get the full extent of the dose. So let me ask Bob uh, and, and tell Bob a little bit more about in my situation, I'm going 
going to wean them for 70 days. I'm going to feed them a pound or two of a byproduct feed like distillers a day, and they're going to be on dormant forage and i expect them to gain about i don't know half pound a day so i want to boost it i want to boost it up with my implant i know philip you just (laughs) snickered philip didn't you there you go so this is what i'll say is implants aren't magic they won't make they what they do is they help repartition nutrients to make the animal more efficient with growing but he has to have nutrients to partition so what we've seen situations where if cattle are gaining only a half a pound a day, you know, Philip says, oh, implanting pays, you know, you get a great return on investment if the cattle are gaining weight and probably over a pound and a half a day. You know, so they need to be gaining, you know, more like what we expect stocker cattle to gain one and a half to three pounds a day a gain somewhere in there. Then the implants really do help add some efficiency to that growth for animals that really aren't given the nutrients to grow. Uh, implants won't make nutrients appear out of nowhere. They, they just repartition the nutrients that are there. So in that case, I would not implant them because I, I'm really not going to get the benefit. The one other place where I may not implant them is if I know I have a marketing arrangement for a no ever treated with hormone type of a marketing option. But I would want to be pretty sure I'm going to be paid for that. I don't want to necessarily not implant them and then just hope somebody will pay me for that. I would not implant a group of cattle that I knew I was going to get some marketing advantage from. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and Philip, I did change up the scenario. Because you're right, the implants have been shown to be one of the most effective tools that we have. But I do think people, there are situations, they're not going to help you. No. And remind me to never let you manage a set of calves <laughs> for me. 70 days gaining half a pound a day. That's oh my 30, gosh. That's 35 pounds. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> they might as well be losing weight. Yeah. Yeah. So if in that scenario, we need enough nutrients to, to for the implant to actually repartition some nutrients. And the research out there says that, yeah, if you're less, especially less than a pound and even less than a pound and a half a day, the increase in weight gain is going to be very minimal um, with the use of implants. And so that becomes a whole different question. So basically, he needs to give you a reasonable scenario, right? (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I I think, though, as you look at, but you talked about there's a couple things that you want to think about relative. If you're selecting implants, they have to have adequate nutrition. I have to consider what is that payout period because those implants themselves, and when you say payout period, kind of define that for me. What does that mean? Well, it's the length of time that the hormone level or the, in the blood of the animal stays above a threshold that will initiate repartitioning of nutrients and, and get the animal to, to gain more efficiently. Okay. And then the third thing is the specific mix or hormone that is present because there are some different hormones that you may want for different life stages and different genders at different life stages. So... What we have to do is pick the right implant for the right scenario. So not only are implants not always across the board a yes, depending on what scenario it is, but which implant you pick is also critical. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. So thank you guys for sharing some of that information, and I think very good as far as thinking about which implant you might want to pick, as well as we had some good discussions on vitamin A and leasing a bull. As always, if you have questions for us, you can send us an email at bci at ksu.edu.